over a very long time, they were able to do this by investing in infrastructure and investing in education. Welcome to the Wait and Speak podcast. I'm your host, Rekweer White. In today's episode, I speak to Prof. Waldo Kriegel about the South African economy, its status quo and new realities. Waldo is Professor of Economics at the Northwest University's Potsdam campus. He is Editor-in-Chief of the South African Journal of Economic and Management Sciences and President of the Economic Society of South Africa. And without further ado, here's the interview. Waldo, welcome on the Wait and Speak podcast. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you, Rekweer. So, Valdo, our topic today is the SA economy, our status quo and new realities. And I think uh, before the current COVID-19 pandemic, our economy faced a lot of challenges, as it was. Um, and one of these was inequality. Um, and now with the pandemic, um, we can see that uh, there are specific consequences for inequality and, and it's becoming uh, a, quite a big issue. Can you give us a bit more of a background around this and the problems around inequality? Yes, Rekweer, thank you. Uh, yeah, South Africa is really characterized by significant inequality and uh, the COVID-19 pandemic uh, really made it just visible again to everyone. Uh, the statistics are very clear. The richest 10% of our population own uh, almost uh, 68% of all the wealth and the richest 1%, almost 35% of all the wealth. So the character, it really it tells you that there's a lot of income and wealth inequality in South Africa. And the way that people have been able to spend the pandemic, uh, the, the differences in access to resources, uh, who uh, are suffering losses of income, losses of jobs, uh, is just reflected uh, again the, the kinds of inequality that we have in the South African economy. Um, Valde, and then I think we're going to touch on that later. I think there's no easy way of of getting rid of that uh, that inequality. But I think something that's linked to that is uh, we've had many firms and businesses say they face the reality of closing permanently now in the wake of the crisis. Um, how will this add to, to the ailing economy? And then obviously also with higher unemployment um, adding to inequality. The numbers that are out there are staggering. Uh, the job losses that are predicted are really huge. And uh, you, you find different uh, surveys uh, of firms and uh, of employers uh, giving different numbers, but all of them are really worrying. Uh, a survey by Statistics South Africa showed that 35% uh, of uh, online retail uh, is expecting some job losses, 25% uh, of workers in construction, 15% uh, in mining, and then, of course, uh, tourism and the creative industries have been hit really hard. Uh, so it's when you have job losses like that, it really just compounds the problems uh, that we're already experiencing uh, with very slow economic growth, poverty and inequality. Yeah, it's, it's really an assault on all fronts. Um, if, if you think about it, it's the current lockdown. And then once we get out of the whole lockdown, our domestic activity might, might, will be slower, uh, but then we also face a global a global slowdown, which obviously also will impact on demand for exports. Um, yes. So and and then and and then again the the impact varies across industries. If you think about airlines and tourism, um, it's difficult to imagine exactly how those industries will um, adapt and how that will look in the new new normal after all of this is kind of um, you know settled back into a normal rhythm. That, that's true. Uh, I, I also listen to a lot of podcasts and uh, when you hear how uh, firms in the U.S. economy are preparing 
for different kinds of scenarios. It just shows how complicated the answers to these problems are. Uh, and uh, if, if foreign economies are also contracting and slowing down, uh, that doesn't uh, help uh, the South African economy at all. Mm. No, that, that's a good point. And you mentioned the scenario planning. I think that is the type of thinking that as a, as a business owner um, and even uh, you know, at the policy level is to, is to, to look at different scenarios. Um, you can't really make one forecast or one predict, kind of a prediction and think you're going to work with that. There's just too much uncertainty that, that you need to consider variable um, outcomes that could occur. Absolutely. Valdo, then I think linking to... As we said at the beginning, our economic problems we had before COVID-19, and obviously this is something that we as a country want to fix. Um, and if you look at different examples, um, you know, like Singapore, they they had a lot of economic su success despite not having, not having uh, natural resources. And then you can look at other examples like resource-rich uh, countries that export oil, again, is another extreme example. Um, you know, where these countries have managed to get a lot of revenue through oil sales, but now again in this current um, crisis, it, it has exposed this problem of not diversifying the economies. Um, and I think they really face a big problem with, uh, with these oil exporting countries now that the oil price has crashed in, in the medium term. Uh, what countries um, can we use as kind of a, a case study or an example uh, to look at for mitigating and eliminating economic inequality and for kind of transforming our economy um, and then keeping in mind these various, um, you know, different examples at different ends of the spectrum? It's a tough question. Uh, I think the, the, uh, the question of what drives economic growth uh, really lies behind that, because once you have the economy growing, then it's easy, relatively speaking, to lift people out of poverty and also to try and, and make your growth pro-poor to, to eliminate or at least reduce inequality. So I think that's the, the really the first condition is, is to, to get the economy growing faster again but then not to rely on a trickle down and hope uh, that eventually the growth also reaches the poor. Uh, there needs to be a combination of the market working and uh, government intervention. And I think that's where you find the, the examples of, of Western European and Scandinavian economies uh, that are based on, on private ownership and uh, free markets allocating scarce resources, as we say in economics, uh, but then government taking a role to try and eliminate market failures and to address uh, really the, the challenges of economic development. And all evidence shows that, uh, that over a very long time, they were able to do this by investing in infrastructure and investing in education. I think those are, are the, the key solutions to long run addressing uh, slow growth and inequality. These take years uh, and uh, a lot of other variables uh, also need to be in place to complement policies like those. So there's no easy answer. I think often uh, experts uh, all have their own easy answer up their sleeve and they say, well, it has to be whatever, small business, for example. Uh, but that's only part of any bigger solution. Uh, so I think there are lessons to learn abroad. Uh, but uh, South Africa uh, has unique challenges facing it. Yeah, those are some very, very valid points, Valdo. Uh, I think that linking on to what you've said, I think, um, you know, 
the the business environment and and the the role of government to create a, a environment conducive of doing business conducive to doing business um, and then focusing not only on growth um, but growth that actually creates jobs and then at the right levels where we need it um, it's no use having growth without job you know non job creating growth um, and you touched on infrastructure spending um, I think that's important you know that's part of that conducive environment if you have the infrastructure available to make it easy to transport uh, products um, to have connectivity um, and then obviously um, labor absorption absorption capacity of the economy and you touched on on skills and training I think to my mind that is quite a big big challenge that we have a large population especially a large young population uh, but they don't not necessarily have all the skills and to kind of get training programs um, out there to reach these people and then also to link the training that's being done um, to where the need is in the economy and also to think longer term in terms of how the economy will, will change, especially we touched earlier on e-commerce, um, especially in you know going forward. I think there's a lot of different things to consider and there's definitely no one blanket approach that can solve these problems. Yeah, I agree. No, no single approach. Uh, I, there is an interesting perspective uh, from last year's Nobel Prize winners in economics. Uh, they argue that uh, often policymakers find it difficult uh, to, to, to take these steps that we all expect of them, have some silver bullet policy that just drives economic growth or creates jobs. And their argument is uh, that uh, from a development economics perspective, uh, we do know how to do certain things and that they do benefit people. Uh, just like basic services, health services, education uh, are, are things that are proven interventions that make people's lives better. And if you get those right, it ends up to a, a foundation or a platform from which the private sector can then go on and grow the economy. So their argument is really don't leave growth and job creation to government. Uh, we don't know how that works. Uh, rather get that foundation right and then uh, the, the market will drive the growth. I think that's that's something really sensible to keep in mind. Yeah, that's that's definitely uh, sensible. I think it's it comes down to starting with those small things that we know um, and it can almost create a type of a flywheel effect, um, you know, to, to get the economy going over, over time if we keep on doing the right things um, from, from a micro level. Um, Valdo, then, then linked to this, um, obviously environmental um, concerns and climate change is a whole thing, a topic on its own. But I think that's also linked to to our economic system and how things will evolve in the future. Do you think there is really an alternative to a purely capitalist or purely socialist uh, type of a system um, that can support sustainable economic development? I'm a middle of the road kind of guy. I, I think we uh, we definitely have to build on. Uh, the foundation of, of private ownership and the enforcement of contracts, uh, those elements of, of the market or in a, a capitalist system, but it needs to be tempered. Uh, we can't uh, have uh, only uh, the markets <laughs> deciding on everything. Uh, there needs to be a role for government in this. And of course, defining those, those market failures and the roles of government are, are not straightforward. And it's been a challenge ever since governments have been thinking about this uh, but there's the, the middle of the road i think is is the solution in that 
Yeah, and, and I think that speaks to what we said earlier about not, you know, going into an extreme direction or having one blanket solution for everything. Um, I agree with you there. Um, and, and I think that the important thing there is to have the to keep having an incentive system for, for economic actors, but then also balancing for things like market failure. So so that's essential. Um, Valder, then just to close off with, you know, some say the current crisis is an opportunity for South Africa's government to now implement the structural economic reforms that are long overdue. Uh, what do you think the real, um, with real sustainable economic transformation look like? It's a really good question. And uh, commentators are calling on government, the president, uh, to, to explain what they, they mean when they talk about that. I think it can go different ways. And, and again, my view is that we have to aim for that middle of the road. Uh, there are people who see worrying signs in the direction that we're taking, for example, with the increase in grants, uh, with government wanting to distribute food parcels. And they see a, a government really extending its role into the economy and growing bigger. Uh, and in that sense, sort of taking the lead in, in whatever economic activity or system that needs to come. So I think that could be, be one aspect of it. Uh, but then from the current crisis, you can also take other leads and say, uh, the crisis has really forced the hands of, of the unions. Uh, they were ready to strike over salary increases and the multi-year wage agreement uh, at the end of February when the Minister of Finance announced that he really can't afford the, the inflation plus adjustments. And now it would be impossible to strike uh, with so many people losing incomes and losing jobs. Uh, it's, it's politically untenable to, to also uh, call a strike over extra income. So, so maybe the balance of power between uh, business, unions and government is, is shifting. Uh, uh, everyone is waiting to see what's going to happen at SAA. And I think that's another uh, part of that story, to, to, to look at uh, the way that government uh, deals with uh, its unions and the plans that are made going forward there uh, will signal what's going to happen in, in the bigger battle still to come, for example, at other SOEs, specifically ESCOM. So I think what the system's going to look like uh, we're probably, hopefully, still in that middle of the road uh, with uh, a private ownerships and enforcement of contracts and all the incentives uh, setting uh, the scene, uh, but then getting that mix of market and government right. Uh, I'm pro uh, letting those market forces go, just opening up and, and getting the economy going, uh, but then uh, balancing that uh, on the social side, the way that we're already doing with a progressive income tax system and a system of grants. Hmm. Some valid points, Valdo, I agree. Um, I think you've touched on some items that are definitely also part of this bigger context, and I think it's, a, it's something that uh, can be a whole podcast on itself, is around you know state involvement of SOEs and the way forward around that. Yeah. You know, some some SOEs might be more deserving than others, um, you know, and the options are different. Um, and then the other thing is obviously the government uh, budget at this stage, um, you know, government budget deficit has been been creeping upwards. And I can imagine that uh, the outlook for tax revenue in the current environment has also drastically changed uh, since February. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a whole nother level of 
you know, complexity where government wants to become more involved in the economy. Uh, but I think on the other side, there means to do so, and especially in terms of revenue and all the responsibilities they already have, don't necessarily allow that. I think once the, the Minister of Finance presents uh, another budget, uh, we should talk again. Yeah, I think that that's a great idea. I look forward to that. Um, so, so Valde, it was fantastic having you on the show. I appreciate your time and um, I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you, Rikwi. It's a pleasure and keep well. And that's a wrap for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, happy listening.